I want to start us off by just quickly reading through Luke 2, uh, 1 through 7, and then uh, we're going to talk about Matthew 1, 21, all about the birth of Christ. Luke 2 says this, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration where uh, Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in the manger, because there was no place for them in the inn." Before Jesus was born, the angel Gabriel came when Mary was with child and uh, came to Joseph to assure him that this was, this was God's will. And in Matthew 1, 21, part of what the angel Gabriel says to Joseph is, she, talking about Mary, will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." So let's pray real quick, and then we're going to talk about this sweet name, Jesus. Uh, Father, thank you for Christmas. Thank you for the sending of your Son, which is just uh, a demonstration of the love that you have for the world. I pray today that um, for us who believe, who are following after Christ, that you would give us another glimpse of your glory in his face and allow us just to be transformed to be even more like Jesus today. Allow us to give you worship and song in thanksgiving, in fellowship, in the receiving of your word, all these things. Uh, For any of us uh, today that are not believers, Lord, we ask the same thing, that you would give us a glimpse of your glory and you would transform our hearts. You would transfer us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light by the death and resurrection. Merry Christmas again. Uh, Romeo and Juliet. Juliet says this, What's in a name? That which we call a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. Essentially saying that names are just labels and nothing more than that. Interesting enough, there's a a group of psychologists that did a study on names and how it affects how we receive things. And what they did was they took 15 odors ranging from really bad or negative odors to neutral to positive odors. And they put it in front of people, but they named them differently. So one odor, they would name it positively, and they found that positive-named odors would receive a positive review, or at least more positive than it would have been if they named it something negative or something that didn't appear lovely or beautiful um, in, in the mind. And so what's in a name seems to be quite a bit more than just a label. There seems to be something more to it. And this question that Juliet asks in this old Shakespearean play, is the same question that we're asking of our text today. What's in a name? Matthew one twenty one. What's in a name? Particularly today, we look at the name that properly summarizes all of Christianity and all of Christmas in one fail swoop. The name that we're looking at today is quite literally the name Jesus. Bernard of uh, Clairvaux once said this of the name of Jesus. He said, the name of Jesus is honey in the mouth, music in the ear, a song in the heart. And if God would just but let us glean one glimpse of his glory in the face of Christ, that would be true of us even now to this day. 
So as we look at this very brief text, we're going to ask four questions. Why did Jesus have to be born? What does the name Jesus mean? How does Jesus save his people? And what must I do to be saved? Those are the four questions that we're going to look at. So our first one, why did Jesus have to be born? One of the ancient church fathers by the name of Gregory answers that question by saying this, whatever Jesus did not become, he could not save. Whatever Jesus did not take into himself, he could not save. So he said that in response to another person who was teaching that Jesus wasn't fully man. He was just partially man. He was just kind of a a shell of a man, but wasn't fully man. But the Bible has very strong language for the birth of Jesus, for the incarnation, for God becoming flesh and dwelling among us. In 1 John 4, 2 through 3, it says this, By this you may know the Spirit of God. I mean, that's pretty important. How, how do I know if it's the Spirit of God or not? By this you will know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. So strong language is reserved for the coming of Jesus in the flesh. He was fully man. So why did Jesus have to be born? There's many answers to this question. I'm going to give one kind of seemingly redundant answer. Christ had to be born because Scripture said he had to be born. Or another way of saying that is Christ had to be born because God promised that he would be born. So I'll give a couple examples. Genesis 3, right after the fall, in the midst of God cursing the people, he promises that the child of Eve will crush the head of the serpent, Satan himself. In Genesis 12, he promises that the child of Abraham will be a second, second Samuel 7. He says the child of David will rule on his throne forever and will rule over the earth. Isaiah 7 promises that a virgin will give birth and his name will be, be Emmanuel, which literally means God with us. And if you look in Matthew 1, just two verses after the verse we're looking at, in verse 23, This scripture is claimed by Matthew to have been fulfilled in their sight, that Mary giving birth to Jesus is the fulfillment of Isaiah 7. And so one reason Jesus had to be born is because God promised that the Savior, the son of Abraham, the son of David, the son of Eve, the one who would reverse the curse, had to be a man, had to be born, had to come in the flesh. Another little thing we can take from that is God is faithful In the Old Testament, all these promises have come true in Christ. At Christmas, we witness the beginnings of all of God's promises coming true, finding their yes and amen in Jesus Christ. At the birth of Christ, God proves himself a God of his word, a a, a person whose his yes is his yes and his no is his no. And as we are kind of In this mindset of the first coming, we're also waiting for the second coming of Jesus when he will bring into fulfillment, into completion, all the things that God has promised to us in Christ. So faithfully, God has begun his work and he remains faithful and he will remain faithful until it is brought to completion. So the name Jesus is honey for the mouth, music for the ears, a song in our hearts. So our second question is this, what does the name Jesus mean? Quite literally, the name Jesus means Yahweh saves. It's made up of two words in in Hebrew. It's Yeshua, which is our name, Joshua. 
Yeshua, which means Yahweh, and then saves. And those words are put together. And so quite literally, in the name of Christ, we find who he is and what he has come to do. Who is he? He is God. What has he come to do? He has come to save. He's come to save his people. In the person of Christ, we see the Father's heart, and that his heart is to save. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. In the giving of Christ, in the birth of Christ, we are actually witnessing the Father opening his heart of love to us and pointing out that he loves the world and he's here to save. Honey to the mouth. He's God. 1 John 5.20, the, the second to last verse says this, And we know that the Son of God has come, Christmas, he's born, and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. After Zacchaeus, the wee little man, right, comes down his tree and Jesus comes to his house, right? We all long, every sinner, every person who's lived on this earth should long for these words from the Savior's mouth in Luke 19, 9 through 10. Today, salvation has come to this house since he also is the son of Abraham for the son of man has come to seek and to save the lost. Are you lost? The son of man has come to seek you. Are you, are you a sinner? Are you caught in sin? The Son of Man has come to save you. He's revealing the Father's heart. So what does the name Jesus mean? So much more than a mere rose with an aroma that is literally life itself, eternal life to those who believe. Jesus means Yahweh, the God of the Bible, saves. But he dash is this. How does Jesus save his people? And simply put, he dies and makes atonement for their sins. He dies for their sins. Matthew continues in one twenty one, For he, talking about Jesus, will save his people from their sins. The Bible's clear from Genesis to Revelation what is required of sin. What is the wages of sin? Romans says it, for the wages of sin is death. Genesis 2, before Adam and Eve fall and eat the fruit, God promises them, in the day that you eat that fruit, you shall surely die. Death is the promised uh, condemnation of disobeying God. And yet, even in that, we find Adam and Eve didn't die, but rather God killed some animals and clothed them with their skins. He atoned for them. He covered them. That's what the word atone means, to cover over. Jesus quite literally covers our sin. He atones for our sin. The Bible is clear. The wages of sin is death. The Bible's also clear. Jesus didn't sin. And yet a third time the Bible is clear. Jesus died. So what's going on there? If the wages of sin is death, Jesus didn't sin, Jesus died. Why did he have to die? Because he died the death that we deserve. The death that our sins deserve. He took our sins quite literally on himself. In Leviticus 16, there's a celebration called Yom Kippur, which means the day of atonement, in which the high priest of Israel has two goats, and he puts his hand on one of the goat's heads, and he confesses the sins of the nation, and then they kill the goat. And then he does it to the other goat, and they send the goat out into the desert to be cut off from the people and to wander the wilderness forever. Jesus is the fulfillment of both of those goats. Jesus took our sins, the sins of his people on himself, and was killed for it. And Jesus was cut off from his people and put on the outside of the camp. 
on our behalf. The day of atonement. Jesus is the day of atonement fulfilled. Our, our biggest problem is sin. Our biggest problem is that God hates sin and sinners hate God. That's our biggest problem. It's not shortage of food. It's not poverty. It's not broken homes. It's not racism. It's not abortion. These are all symptoms of the same big major problem that we are sinners and that we on the inside, we hate God and God hates sin. And yet, Jesus comes and takes our sin upon himself and takes the wrath of God upon himself and atones for us. It says in John 1, Jesus is the lamb. This is what John the Baptist says. He's the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He takes your sins upon him. He takes the wrath of God upon himself. And he drinks God's wrath down to the dregs, to the end. And he says on the cross in one Greek word, three English words, it is finished. It's complete. He atones and covers his people. He saves his people. And in doing so, he accomplished two things. He took our sin from us, and he took the Father's wrath against sin, thus making it possible for us to be with God and to to enjoy that, to glorify God and for him to be our joy forever. Jesus is Yahweh saves. He's precious. He's honey for our mouth, music for our ears, a song on our hearts. Our last question of the text is this, what must I do to be saved? And quite simply, the Bible says, repent and believe in Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So what must I do to be saved would be a good question to ask. And Jesus of the Bible, the Lord of Christmas, gives us the answer. There's kind of two sides to this question. From one side, we can look at it from God's sovereignty, the work of God. And from the other side, we can look at it from our free will, our choice, the choices we make. All right. So from the sovereignty side, I'll give you an example. In John chapter 3, Nicodemus comes at night because he doesn't want to be seen with Jesus, but he's interested enough that he wants to hear about what he has to teach. And you might imagine him basically asking this question, what must I do to be saved? Because Jesus gives him that answer. And this is what Jesus says. Truly, truly, I say unto you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That's verse 3. In verse 5, he says it another way. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water in the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And so what is Jesus doing here? He's quoting Ezekiel 36. And what he's doing is he's showing the priority and that God is primary in our salvation, that God is the primary actor in our salvation. Ezekiel 36, note how many times the word I is used. And this is God speaking. Ezekiel 36, he says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Over and over and over again, who is it that saves us It is God, the one who says, I, I do this. I'm the one that gives the new birth. I am the one that gives you a new heart that can love and receive Christ. I'm the one that gives you a heart that longs for, you long to obey Christ because to disobey him, it breaks your heart quite literally. God is the one who gives us the new heart. But the other side of it, 
the side of it from time, from our own choice, from our perspective, our point of view, if you want to say it this way. We see this in Mark 1, filled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So the same way that he says to Nicodemus, how can I be saved? You must be born again. Well, okay. He looks at this and he says, well, how can I be saved? Repent. Believe in the gospel. Repent. Believe in the gospel. Faith is waiting on Christ to bring about the fulfillment of his promises. All your eggs are in the basket of Christ being the Savior and the one that's going to bring what he says he's going to bring. Repentance, um, I want to read this. This is from a book called Conversion by Michael Lawrence. It's a very short book, but he gives a really good explanation of repentance. He says, real repentance is a new worship. It looks like a changed life, but that changed behavior results from a change of worship, not the other way around. Repentance is being convinced or convicted by the Holy Spirit of the sinfulness of sin, not the badness of our deeds, but the treachery of our hearts to God. Repentance means hating what we formerly loved and served our idols and turning away from them. Repentance means turning to the love of God whom we formerly hated and serving him instead. It's a new deepest loyalty of the heart. Repentance means turning away from sin and turning to God. So note now that if you feel yourself called to Christ, your, your heart welling up, he's honey for your mouth, right? He's a song uh, for your heart. He's music to your ears. This is the Father drawing you to Christ, right? This is the Father drawing you to his Son and showing you a glimpse of himself in uh, in Christ. And if he's begun this already in your life, just like we said at the very beginning, God is faithful to complete what he starts. So if you've already found yourself drawn to the Christ, believing in him, repenting of sin, and going through that process of learning and growing in obedience to Christ, you can bank on God being faithful to complete this work. And if you find yourself even now being wooed to Christ, turn yourself to him. If he has brought you to repentance and faith in Christ, he will keep you until the last day. And, and as Jesus says in John 6, he will raise you up in the last day. May his name carry you through this Christmas season with much worship and praise to God. Jesus is honey for our mouths, music for our ears, and a song on our hearts. What's in a name? All of Christmas. Jesus. Let's pray. Father... Uh, make us a people of, after Romans 10, Lord, that we would believe in our hearts that you have resurrected your son from the dead, and we confess with our mouth that you are Lord. Uh, You are God in the flesh. Thank you for sharing, uh, for the only person who's seen the Father, for sharing him with us, for showing him and revealing him to us. I pray that you would strengthen our faith today, and that today we would, it would just be a, a day of praise and joy as we think about and contemplate your glory in the face of Jesus Christ. Allow us to worship you today, Lord. Receive our songs of praise.